0: You can't throw money at a thing and just have a community build. That that takes time and that takes, takes people in genuine interest to do. And so what's really important in that thought is to recognize, again, how big community is, but also like you have to listen to your community and you have to move with them and not just dictate, this is not a one-way street anymore, it's a conversation.
1: Welcome to The In Factor. Conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and today we have two guests with us, Sean Green and Eric Hyard, the co-founders of Safehouse. Sean has 10 years of experience creating content and developing brands on the internet that he has perfected through his previous positions as the creative director at Twitch and a visual storyteller at eSports. Eric is a live stream event producer who has produced hundreds of digital events as a talent buyer, media coordinator, and program director. Together, Sean and Eric created Safehouse, a live stream production that showcases interactive music performances online with a mission to empower musicians through a modern approach to discover ability and autonomy in the music industry through live streaming. Since launching in 2016, Safe House has hosted over 200 shows featuring over 800 artists to nearly 1 million music lovers from all corners of the world. I'm delighted to have Sean and Eric join us today and I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm so excited today. This is actually the first time we've had co-founders on InFactor. So it's really fun to have with me today two young men, actually, that I've known for many years who have been a part of my children's lives, went to high school with my daughter and my son also has gotten to know them and spend a lot of time with them. And so Eric, Sean, really excited to have you today on the podcast and excited to learn more about what you're doing out there in Austin.
0: Yeah, it's exciting to be here.
2: Thank you, for Station go. Yeah, we're very excited to be here. We're excited how this whole thing came about, you know, despite the weather we're dealing with in Austin, where we're getting through it. And, yeah, um, this
1: is epic storm out there right now. So it's testing your resilience, right?
0: Thanks to the internet. <laughs> Thank you, Internet, for making this possible.
1: And we hope it's going to continue through the next 40 minutes or so while we talk. So so the two of you are co-founders of Safe House, which is described as a live stream event company. So let's talk a little bit about how you got here. I know something about your background, but I'd like for our viewers to hear a little about how you met and what led you into starting not only just a business together but this particular business together?
0: Yeah, so Eric and I've known each other for most of our lives. Like you had mentioned we went to school together and kind of what post school we kind of went separate directions and kind of did our own thing. Eric moved to Austin, I moved to San Francisco, and when I was at San Francisco or in San Francisco, I was working at Twitch and a competitive video game company during that period of time and Basically, we started learning live streaming and learned kind of where that industry was going and what that was all about, all the technology behind it, as well as kind of what it was creating, which was these weird, interesting communities on the internet and kind of, I'd always visited Austin to hang out with Eric and a couple other friends that I have here and, you know, that kind of really was the beginning of this thought was coming and visiting Austin and falling in love with music and then kind of connecting some dots of live streaming together. And then all of a sudden music or Austin was the place to go for music live streaming. And that was kind of the very beginning of the thought.
1: So you yeah, came uh, from a gaming background, Eric, your background was more music, right?
2: Correct. Yes. Yeah. That's sort of, you know, the was tech. The idea was kind of tech meets music and, you know, just seeing very talented creative communities get priced out of austin i sort of bit at this idea with sean you know a lot of a lot of people are finding a lot of success in online gaming how can we translate this to music you know as far as as far as musicians finding an audience and finding an avenue for success in in the live streaming world and as austin's really grown over the years like you know is there an alternative that's going to allow this city to you know Continue to be the home to musicians the way that is historically known, and and that's what that's what interested me in this.
1: So, how did you come up with the concept of Live Safe, Eric? I can remember in high school your bands that you had, and I think Caitlin brought, drug me to not drug me, encouraged me to come <laughs> and hear you play. So, you've been a musician that took you to Austin, and so how did the concept of Safe House really develop? You know, I can see how it kind of came together, but Austin is about a sense of place and live streaming kind of adds an element beyond that in a way, you know, because you can be almost anywhere. Right. And participate. So how did this concept of of safe house, you know, really develop?
0: Yeah. How does it work? So where it really started was way way back in I think 2011 2012 when I was very first getting involved with live streaming. At that time, it was really all about video games and gaming and competitive gaming, or if you want to be you want to be hip, the terms esports. So esports was really starting to take off then, and I had an early interest in that and kind of got involved with that pretty early on in that sort of trajectory. But very quickly realized that like. As much as I enjoyed learning about live streaming and the technology and the space, gaming in esports wasn't my my dream. It wasn't my love. Music had always been, and so always from the very beginning, I'd always been wondering, like, "Wow, if this works with gaming and people are watching other people play video games for money, why wouldn't they do this for music?" And so, kind of as that. Really, that shot kind of per or that that thought percolated for a couple of years. And whenever I was in Austin, I would like, wow, if, if there's any place to do it, it's here because there's so much good music here. And every time I visit here, that's the only thing I ever end up talking about with anybody is music and music and music. So every time I would come here, I would kind of just talk to people about this idea I had of, you know, what if you live stream a band or what if you did like a digital venue and Whoever I would talk to at the time, the idea changed basically every conversation, depending upon who they were, what their background was. If I was talking to an artist or musician, I would try to get them live streaming. And this went on for, I think, two or three years before, and nobody really bid on it. No one really, really got it. They didn't really understand the idea. And then one day, oddly enough, Eric, who I'd spent most of my time with during that period of time, I'd never pitched Eric on the idea. And then randomly one day I pitched Eric on the idea and the version of it was kind of what we see now, which is more of a digital venue and have different artists come through. And the reason why that was the case is because I knew Eric had really good taste in music. Maybe my favorite artist I've ever, my favorite artist of all time are all artists that Eric showed me. So I was like, well, I know Eric has good taste in music and I know, I know the technology and the live streaming side behind it. So maybe this is a good fit. And Eric bit, he's like, okay, let's do this. And I'll never forget Like it becoming really, really real when Eric said, this is only going to happen if we pick a date. So we have to pick a date and that is our first show. And I think it took us three months to get our first show off the ground. But once that first show kicked off, we hit the ground running. At first we were doing shows monthly, but then that became weekly. And now it's just, it's sped up and gotten easier and developed a lot since then, which was January 16th, 2016 was our first show.
1: So how does it work specifically? I mean, what is live streaming music for anybody out there that may not know much about it?
0: Yeah, so in a very, very simple way, it's no different than watching TV or watching any other video program, but what really makes it unique is the fact that since it's live, it's not just, you know, the TV giving a monologue to you. It's it's a conversation and it's happening in real time. So the end user, the viewer has an influence on the show. And maybe that influence is something as simple as saying hi in chat. But that's pretty profound and pretty revolutionary when you think about all the applications and implications of that, you know. When you're watching a TV show, the TV's not used to hearing you yell at it. And so in this context, it's live feedback. And that feedback loop being effectively real time means that both the artist and the viewer are shaping the experience together. And that really creates a unique one, a unique experience in a moment. But also it really develops community and it really builds this, this sort of new era of digital community that is evolving and blooming and, and creating really special Spaces and opportunities and businesses that we haven't really seen prior to now, just mainly because the technology was pretty impossible. I know when I was starting this out and thinking about this for the first time, one of the reasons why I was thinking about it and wanting to do it was because the cost of live production went from about a hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars to pull off a good live production to around a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars if you wanted to, you know, get some nicer gear. So the barrier to entry all of a sudden got a lot, lot lower. And now it was a matter of time of who kind of hit the ground running first and who figured out how to do this first. And now we're, you know, five or six years into that thought. And a lot has happened since then. And the space has really developed so far.
1: In a weird sort of way, I can relate to this as an educator, because many years ago, I did some online or distance learning classes. and. When I can't interact with my students, it's a whole different experience. And when I am able to, you know, I find that their experience is much better as well. So it's, it's really kind of a weird uh, analogy, but I can relate to it in that sense.
0: Well, well I think that's the the right real thought to think about because ultimately it becomes an educational experience, whether that is at a formal education or whether that's a, a cultural education, it's still an opportunity for people to interact with each other and learn what norms are and what culture kind of permeates from the way people interact with each other.
1: So Eric, I know you've loved music and been a musician yourself for most of your life. And I think one of your goals has been to provide an avenue for startup musicians and for emerging musicians. Would you say that this platform can help with that sort of process?
2: Well, so we, we see, you know, we've done this for five years. And before the pandemic, Austin has its reputation for live music. So it was a little tricky, kind of convincing artists that this is a legitimate way to do this. I think the pandemic sped a lot of this up. You know, I think that Sean had always, Sean and I had always been on the same page that we were going to get there eventually with this, that live streaming was. Without the pandemic, maybe this would have been 10 or 15 more years. But we've seen so much more interest in this last year with it. And we have this five year head start on everybody. You know, we, we have 200 shows under our belt. We've worked with 800 artists. We have all of these analytics that we can sort of look at to see. What makes a successful show? How are we? What metrics are we looking at that determine if this is growing in regards to viewership and donations and subscribers and just interest from the community that really wasn't there before? But, you know, what we really need and what we're realizing this year is not just with the production team, but artists need direction on how to do this and how to do this well you know their musicians only know how to be musicians and we're asking them to really sort of reinvent themselves as more of entrepreneurs themselves it's like what what sets you apart from your online performance to the next artist and that's what Sean and I are trying to to teach a lot of artists that we work with and develop relationships with them and ongoing relationships to where To where they, you know, they're returning guests on our show and, and they, they they bring their audience with them. So some, some people get it. And a lot of people I feel like are just sort of waiting for this to sort of blow over. But now a year into this, you know, we're in no real end in sight with it. People are starting to take this a little bit more seriously as far as an avenue for, for success for them.
1: You know, it seems like, and maybe maybe I don't know enough about it, so I'm not sure this would be a correct statement, but it seems like that you would have some analytics and maybe even real-time data that could help them become better performers. Would that be the case?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's to a degree. I mean, you really do need a lot of data to really draw concrete conclusions about stuff. But what's kind of interesting, and, and this is really a testament to YouTube's analytics system, is we can see the chat messages per, per second, basically, or per minute, as well as the viewership per minute. So we could go back through a performance and see what songs did well, what songs gained viewers, what songs lost viewers. We can see where did, where did people react the most to music or the particular songs that we're hearing. A lot of it is, though, is really about how much engagement and interaction. So as much as the performance itself is the meat of the show, what we've always sort of led and told all of our performers is that the more you interact with your audience, the better the show this is going to be. And that literally means talking to them, asking them questions. It's been a definitely an educational experience of teaching people or teaching artists and musicians about like, ask them dumb questions. Like we have a guy who keeps showing up in chat and asking Ovaltine versus Nesquik and just ask every single band that question. And every single band answers that question. And occasionally (laughs) we'll have a funny train of conversation that that spawns during our interview or during the performance. But we've also seen really, really interesting interactive stuff where I've seen an artist work in what the chat is saying into the song that they're playing at the moment. And so this, this idea of this being a really dynamic experience has been kind of at the heart of what the show is. I mean, it is a music show first and foremost, but what that really comes out into fruition is is really embracing the medium and making it as interactive as possible.
1: Yeah. That's so cool. Really. It's amazing to me what Eric mentioned the pandemic and we're virtually a year in now, you know, we're we're very close to when we had our first lockdown here in the U S and I've heard that we've advanced, you know, 10 years in 10 months, basically in terms of our acceptance of technology So, you know, you've talked about the artist and their side of the experience and how the pandemic for you all has perhaps even been, you know, although many companies have struggled, this has been an opportunity for you. What about the listener? Because, you know, of course, I'm quite a bit old enough to be your mother, actually. So (laughs) a lot older than you all. But the, you know, concert experiences were a community experience for me when I went, it was like fun to go with your friends and enjoy it with your friends. How does the listener, how is the listener responding to this? And do you also have to do listener education? Is that because you're leading, you know, you're doing something innovative and different. So is that a part of it?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, really, if you come down to if it comes down to it, the core of what Safe House is, is really about community building. It's less to do with the show. I mean, like the show is the most concrete definition of what the product is so people can wrap their heads around it. But really, it's about community building. And yeah, like you mentioned, kind of traditional shows and that sort of communal experience. And that is what makes live shows fantastic and special. And that's not something that anything else can replicate. But so what's really important to kind of recognize in the thought with live streaming and live streaming music is if you're trying to replicate a concert, you're just going to do a subpar job. And so what the real goal is, is how do you create a unique communal experience online? And kind of the core idea around that is really about building communal emergence. So a sort of a, if you think about communal emergence that like music venue, if the audience starts doing the wave, that's not just one person doing that. It's an idea that's kind of emerging from a bunch of people in the space all doing an action in a sort of a unified way. And that's really kind of been at at the heart what's made live streaming unique and special and kind of what I've been privy to experiencing over the last couple of years is that I've witnessed like some of the most interesting technologically advanced community-building experiences. Like, for example, a couple years ago, this is a little dated now, but it kind of shows the core idea. There was a guy who, on Twitch, who started a live stream playing the game Pokemon. And if you've ever seen that game, you just kind of run around, you collect these creatures, and you fight each other and stuff. But what he did that was different was that he made it so that he wasn't playing the game Everyone in chat was typing buttons up, down, A, B, start. And whatever. whenever anyone would type in a command, that command would get sent to the game and the character would move or the character would interact. And that sounds simple on its head, but when you have 500 or 1,000 people doing that at once, it turns into sheer chaos. <laughs> and so there was this real interesting experience in that moment. And this has shaped my way I think about live streaming. And I really think. Defines the future, especially music live streaming, for how interactive and how community building it is. All of a sudden, in that moment, there was a well. Wait a second. There is a way to beat this game. Can these five hundred random people all work together to achieve a common goal? And that game steam. And and by the time that had like hit its peak and they were coming close to the end of the game, I think there were one hundred and fifty thousand people playing at one time, and it was chaos. It was complete chaos. You would just see the same the character move up and down for 15 minutes straight because half the people were typing up and other half the people were typing down. But what it really showed by the end when they did beat the game was that if you, have, if you create a common goal and a common experience amongst people, especially amongst viewers, they will play ball. They will participate and they will help raise sort of that communal goal together. And kind of very literally in that, the way we're kind of interpreting that now, and this is at the very beginning of this development for us, is we create a donation goal. And if that donation goal is hit, the audience earns an encore. So they get to hear an extra song. And so what that does is that basically encourages, maybe you don't have a lot of money to throw. Maybe you're just there to hang out. But if you have a dollar or two, you can still contribute towards that goal. And we've seen that create a ton of well, value for the artist, one, and just raising money, but also it creates a sense of community and a sense of purpose and a sense of unity in a time when people are really distanced and people are really far away from each other and sharing some sort of communal experience is becoming just so valuable.
1: That is so cool. And there's so much in what you just said that I think is really powerful, that idea of creating a common goal, You know, there's kind of two ways to build a team. One is a common goal and the other is a common enemy. So, Mm. you know, creating a common goal and I guess the artist and the listener then become a part of the same team, hopefully through this experience, which is, is very cool. And we've always seen, I mean, you know, when you have an artist that you respect and you love their music... How exciting is it to be able to interact with them? I mean, it's an amazing world that we live in. You know, it's not the days where you had to rush the stage to get up and <laughs> try to touch somebody. You know, you can actually interact with them. You brought up, you started taking me down the pathway of trying to understand this as a business. So I love the concept. And like many other new and innovative things, it's it's a big challenge to build this into a company and there's a couple of things that start happening one is you start getting more competition when you're out and leading and especially with the pandemic i think that's going to be an issue but the other is you know talking about strategy and that's partly how we connected you know talking about where you all are headed and and your pathway and you know you brought up the donation goal how do you how do you build a business around this how do you monetize it and how do you how do you deal with competition
0: So, I mean, there's a couple answers to that question. I think I'll give you the pretty pie in the sky answer first, which is if you think about the cost model of this, you know, the cost of live streaming in its most simple form is one person and a computer could be a laptop. You know, there are people who are streaming themselves playing games to hundreds of thousands of people at a time, and there's no infrastructure cost there. It doesn't require the logistics of a venue or the logistics of a music festival I did the numbers last night looking at something like Coachella, and, you know Coachella has around 200 250,000 people attend and that cost the estimate I read was around 40 million dollars to produce. With live streaming, you don't have any of those logistical constraints. So if there were a 200,000 person music festival, digital music festival happening, you have the cost of production, which is whatever degree you want to kind of grow or develop. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you don't have to worry about logistics of power. You don't have to worry about logistics of bathrooms or shelter or food or you know health services, any of those things. And so if you look at it from a scale perspective, basically, it's just like a no-brainer. It, it's an absurdly more cost-efficient model. Now, the challenge there and the challenges we've been facing is that you have to get basically past step one, which is step one is you have to build a community and you have to build a brand and a culture. And, and that really just takes time. And the reality is, is you can't throw money at a thing and just have a community build that that takes time and that takes, takes people in genuine interest to do. And so what's really important in that thought is to recognize, again, how big community is, But also like you have to listen to your community and you have to move with them and not just dictate this is not a one-way street anymore. It's a conversation. And so kind of on the thought of competition, from my experience in live streaming, competition's really decades away. Like the space is so small and there's so much room to grow that the better and more healthy and more successful mentality historically has been just be cooperative and help people out and collaborate with each other and kind of Eric and I from the very beginning have always taken a you know a rising tide raises all ships sort of mentality and that's that's really benefited us you know it's opened up our network it's provided opportunities for us working with people that we never would have otherwise and then just kind of last thought there is on the competition And once we finally do get to that phase of this industry you know I've I have Like a ground zero expert level education in live streaming. You know, I worked at the premier live streaming company for several years and got to see firsthand what this really was and how it worked from a community level and from a data level. So we have such a head start on understanding this space that we're just slowly working through these ideas and developing this technology really around that. You know, when I first started in live streaming, I think the first tournament I ever attended went back when it was really focused on gaming, the first place won 20 grand, which that's nice, nice piece of pie. 20 grand's not bad. But less than 10 years later, that prize pool is now 30 million. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show how much this space is developing and how pandemic or not, this is an industry that is exploding in popularity. And once COVID is sort of taken care of and we're living back to somewhat of a normal life, live streaming's here to stay. It's now proven to be a lucrative model and opportunity for artists and musicians and people all alike of different industries. It's just now a matter of time before that becomes a more meaningfully pursued route through a career.
1: Well, it's really exciting, I'm sure, to be on the forefront of this movement. And that's exciting for me to hear about it. And so let's talk a little bit about what it's like to be, you know, a lot of our listeners are interested In becoming entrepreneurs themselves, they have some passion like the two of you they'd like to pursue and they see an opportunity and they're interested in taking that first step. What was it like for you all to move from paying jobs to being on your own? What's that been like, that process for the last, what'd you say, four or five years? I think you've been. And, you know, I guess it's a good lesson Mm -hmm. because you're kind of a, you know, when you get there, like you said, you're building brand, it might be another several years so you know you become like a 10-year overnight success right
2: <laughs> basically <laughs> so. yes there's no with the industry that we're in and with with it being as new as it is with this in regards to music live streaming and music there's no like blueprint or like successful model of what this is for us to follow so you know we are sort of the ones setting like the standard and like figuring this out for ourselves and with musicians. And what that sort of means is like, we're seeing less of this as far as like resistance goes, but you just find yourself pitching people a lot on musicians, especially in a city like Austin that, that is so established one way. And you're sort of challenging, you know, the infrastructure of this industry that has seen a lot of success over the years in the way that it's operated. And we're looking for people that want to want to work with us and that want to be forward thinking musicians. And that's not been super easy, especially for the first, you know, it, it was very interesting at first seeing musicians into the idea of live streaming, but I don't know that they really took that as seriously as we did at the time as as far as a legitimate like path to success but you know when we have bands coming and playing shows for their second or third show and they've got 60 people watching them and they make seven hundred dollars there aren't a whole lot of other live venues with with artists that are working at that sort of level that are making that kind of money you know right off the bat like that so you know we've had some wins wins like that where it's like this this can work if you, you know, play by these certain rules and, and Sean and I aren't making them up just because we feel like they're right. We've just, we've learned this and we've only learned this by doing it for five years. And that's been sort of the benefit of this resilience that we've had in like, and putting on a lot of shows and working with a lot of people and recognizing like any sort of little interests is, you know, and what we're doing, interest and support, like, let's continue that thought with this person and see what they can contribute as a, as a community member with what we have going on.
0: Yeah, it really goes to show how much, kind of what Eric said earlier, just like, you have to be the active voice in developing this. You know, there's no one, the buck stops with Eric and I. And so the degree in which the picture is painted that we're aiming at is only as vivid as Eric and I can make it. And so a lot of what that really means is, really understanding the implications of your own work. You know, when somebody else is giving you a task, it's really easy just to think about it as a completion of a task versus when you're on your own and you're developing your own ideas, you have to see there's a thousand things I could be doing right now. Which of these are actually valuable? and which of these are going to either create more resources or more opportunities or expedite this process a little bit faster? And so a lot of it really turns into developing your resources and kind of You know, staring at the same object a thousand times and realizing if you turn it a slight different way, it's a wildly different thing and what you can do with it then. And so a lot of it is seeing opportunities and being your own biggest advocate and kind of defining the shape and structure of everything along the way.
1: I get so excited when I hear you talk because I love, love all of this. And i love to see what you're learning because it is a learning. You mentioned learning. I mean, it's basically all about learning. I tell my students that I like an entrepreneurship to yoga. You're not going to perfect it, but you need to show up every day and practice. And, you know, it's just that, like you said, that twist or that turn that teaches you something so you've got to have perseverance and resilience, as you mentioned, and, and you really have to go into it, you know, recognizing that you probably don't know everything you need to know. <laughs> and so yeah, you have to be- that's the
0: only way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: In fact, you absolutely don't know everything you, n- you need to know. So, you know, I'm also curious, Your co-founders, you've known each other for a long time. You know, I've had a number of different experiences in my life with partnerships—some good, some not so good. How has it been going into business together, and what have you learned from that experience? So, so yeah, <laughs> both of yeah, you yeah. have learned something, I, 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 that,
2: <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sorry.
1: I was going to say, each of you have learned a lot, I'm sure.
2: Eric, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Sean and I, growing up together, despite growing up together, we didn't spend a good five years really that close together we spent it sort of off learning our other half of what we contribute to what this is and i think you know we were both really pretty surprised with how well we worked together like right off the bat because he knew what he knew and i knew what i knew and like there wasn't a ton of overlap at the beginning so so you know like our areas of expertise we weren't really at odds with it with each other because also knowing each other as well as we did we know how to communicate i mean that's a huge thing Is like i mean our first two or three years we were fortunate enough to worry as far as it's this this being an extracurricular sort of i don't want to say side gig but as it as it was developing and as we were figuring out what this needed to look like and how we needed to shape this we were on the phone. 30 to 40 hours a week just talking about what you know what this you know and what this should look like, speculating on the music industry, talking about what other you know, where content is going online, how musicians are facing these overpriced cities, where creative's going to go. That was my area of this is in Austin is like bringing that to him and you know with his background in live streaming and with gaming is like applying these sort of rules i don't want to say rules but like just applying what he knows to how do we make this work to where we're not just putting on a show and that's that's where the artists really benefit and i think that still even this year that's the huge thing that i've learned from sean is to just continue pushing this is where a lot of what if we talk about competition, what we're seeing, especially during the pandemic is like everybody's just putting on a concert. And then that's when everything gets oversaturated is when you're not trying to do anything new with the space. So, you know, after seeing a series of things that, that he's contributed to the show work out, you know, that trust is already there, but now I'm trusting him as not just a friend anymore. I'm trusting him as a professional. And, you know, just a series of that over, over the years, it's not, it's, I'm definitely not going to say we don't get in arguments, but, (laughs) you know, just identifying short-term, you know, where do our short-term problems, how do they, what are the long-term consequences of things and us being able to recognize those and, and differentiate those. And, you know, there's not really a whole lot of like ego in what we do. There's nothing I don't feel like I can't talk to him about. And I, Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting seeing how open he and I both are to this as far as business partners go.
0: Yeah, that's the core of it. I mean, you have to trust the person you're working with and you have to recognize that disputes and disagreements are going to happen. And it's a matter of how you can communicate them and resolve them that really matters. You know, it really is about showing up every day. And if you have a fight and you stop showing up every day, that's when the game's over. So, it, you can be upset. You can be, you know, have different opinions for periods of time. But, you know, if you keep showing up, that's what keeps it going. And one really important value for me with with choosing to work with Eric on this was recognizing I wanted to work with somebody on this project who was not like me and had completely different approaches and opinions because that tension is what's going to cr- produce quality products. You know, I have a tendency to be very abstract and very heady. And Eric, on every single conversation, has been like, okay, what does this actually mean? How is this a functional thing? What are we really actually doing on a task level? And that's really helped ground me a lot and keep me in check and recognize that, yes, I can have lofty visions 20 years down the road, but what about years? one through 19. Like we need to get through that first. And so really building a relationship where we have, you know, asymmetrical strengths has really I think been at the core of the success of this, because it provides tension and provides us working through ideas in a way where neither of us are just saying yes, because we like the other person's idea, we have both values and different approaches to what we're doing. And realizing the value of both of those perspectives is what gives it the quality. Yeah,
2: and we have a lot to learn from each other too. I think. Yeah, yeah. What
1: Definitely. great lessons in that? You know, I think everybody has a tendency to get want to go out and repeat themselves, but you know what you really want in a partnership is is somebody who's complementary and and I love that you mentioned trust and mutual respect and communication and all those fantastic things. What great lessons you're sharing in that. So thank you for that. You know, entrepreneurship's not easy, and every pathway to success is usually filled with challenge and failure. And have you had anything along the way that made you close to wanting to give up? Uh, or even if it didn't, that really kind of knocked you down? Any stories you'd want to share about t- resilience? Oh, along I this mean,
0: every, every step of the way, basically, <laughs> I mean, like what I the lesson I had to learn from this was like, just because you understand a particular technology or a particular expertise does not mean you know how to run a business. And that has been kind of a lesson that has punched me in the face basically every day of the last five years. And that's kind of the only way I've really learned it down from like, what are the actual business structure of what we're doing? How do we book keep, you know, we have so much different artists and different people come through our network as well as donations that just keeping track of everything is, is work and the value, you know, that's, that's all data. And it took us base took me like five years to realize that like. All of that information, all of that data is information that we can use to gather and interpret how well of a job we're doing. So, like, that's been a big piece. But I would say, actually, the biggest challenge, and this is maybe valuable to listeners, is in in the context of what we're doing, we're doing a live stream concert venue, more or less, in very, very simple terms. And so, kind of, that begs a really, really kind of complex question is who is our customer? Is our customer the artist or is our customer the viewer? And we've gone back and forth on that so much over the years and kind of where we've settled on that is in the short term, the artist is our customer because right now artists need venues. They need a a way to get their music and their art out to the world and the long term is our viewer. You know, down the road when we have, you know, hundreds or thousands of people tuning in every single show, what flexibility we have with our artists grows a lot. But right now, since we're so in the early stages of this and developing this in terms of building a long, long-term audience that we are at the whim of our artists. You know, we've had artists come in and do a ton of promo and the shows go really well. We've had artists come in and kind of you know, just show up and had very, very different results. So it's been really about learning what's the relationship between those two parties and how do we facilitate value for both of them so that they both show up? Because what we've learned is if one or the other shows up, we don't have a show. We need both to show up for the show to really work.
1: Great lesson. Eric, did you want to add to that?
2: Yeah, well, I think on the production side of this, just developing this over the years, we didn't really know what it was supposed to look like because I deal with, I have largely dealt with the booking and the artist side of this is managing their expectations of what this is going to be. The unfortunate, the reality of it is and as we're seeing this with the power grid struggling in Austin right now, I can only guarantee so many of these shows are going to, I can only do as much pre-production preparation as I can to ensure that the success of these shows are, are even going to happen at all. What i like to point to is, is I mean, and we've definitely had internet go out or power being blown. And these are mistakes that I had to make on on my own that are like, that's made this what it is and it's there's just the lights went out at the super bowl the other year i mean in 2016 and you know there's video flubs and lighting flubs on massive million dollar levels of production and and you know with as we sort of get into this higher level of artists that we're aiming to get into is like we consider ourselves as far as we know, like the, the best version of what this is in Texas right now. And that's just from doing it a lot. And that's just given me a lot of uh, a lot of confidence in what we're we're dealing with. It's just like, I've never been in this territory where I've had like a band of people like screaming at me because the internet went out for a day and there's nothing we can do about it, you know? So, you know, I think that that's a lot of what what other people that are putting on these productions right now is just, there's, Keep your expectation, and it is going to get better over the years, I think, but that's been a huge thing for me, is, is being able to handle that, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, like, pressure that I didn't really have to deal with, you know, before. I do have a production background, but not really like that, and, you know, having to be the face of this huge disappointment for for artists, and that's been interesting.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean like like live streaming is effectively juggling, you know, you're juggling any number of pieces of technology or, you know, operations to make the show happen and if you drop a single ball, you can lose the entire show. So, one big thing that kind of has been a challenge over the years is realizing that I'm my biggest bottleneck and that yes, I might have answers to all these questions, but if there's a team of 5 or 6 or 7 people executing and developing and doing these actual things, they need the experience to do that and learn how to do that and learn how to juggle and learn how to deal with problems that arise. Otherwise I and Eric or I end up running around with our head cut off and that's not fun. And that actually produces a, a lower quality show. So getting that knowledge out of our heads and into our team and into the people who come in the show has been a surprising challenge that I never anticipated we run into.
1: Yeah that all of those great lessons and and to your last point Sean a lot about building a business for an entrepreneur is getting what's in inside the head out into processes and procedures and building an organization and a product around it so this has been phenomenal i could talk to you guys for a lot longer you've learned so much over the last 6 years and you've shared so articulately what you're learning and what you're trying to do. I'm so excited to see you doing this and excited to see where your brand goes. and. As you all both know, I'm available personally to help you any way I can. I'm so excited Thank about you. it. And and I love the story and just deeply appreciate you sharing it with our listeners. Um, you know, we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs who listen to this, and I know they're going to take away a lot, a lot of really valuable lessons. One of the things I always do to conclude is ask my guests if they have one piece of advice they could leave with our listeners, what would it be? And we kind of talked beforehand that you each have some advice you'd like to share, because once again, you're complimentary, not repeating each other. So maybe each of you could share your advice as we conclude with our listeners.
2: Yeah, what I would say is, you know, if you have somebody that's expressing any interest in what you're doing, they're enthusiastic, they're supportive, they're open minded about what you have going on, don't underestimate the value in in that you know safe house five years now is a consequence of a community, a network a feedback network, a network of feedback from everybody that we've worked with is just like you know we've never done this before and we're in new territory, and we're in new industry we don't have all of the answers and you have to let that go and you have to allow yourself, to learn by people that may have some insight on it. that's just like, I never would have thought about that, you know, and that's all in different industries, you know, set your ego aside and, you know, trust, trust your network and trust your community.
0: And then kind of, kind of, kind of piggybacking off of that sort of mine is, is iteration is being able to iterate on a product allows for you to improve it faster. And so a lot of what I've been doing, especially more recently is, How can we understand our process in a deep, meaningful way and shorten the iteration time? You know, effectively every time, every time we put on a show, that's an opportunity for us to iterate on it and to approve upon it and to learn from it. And so the faster you can iterate on your ideas, the faster you'll learn where the values are, where the opportunities are, where the potential is, but also where the constraints are. So iteration is pretty important in that regard, and especially in context to your community.
1: That's great. Both pieces of advice that I think every entrepreneur needs to hear. There's a lot of humility in there and, and a lot of understanding that this is a work in progress. So thank you both so much. I've learned a lot and I know our listeners will as well. Where can our listeners connect with you, find out about more about Safe House. follow you, whatever, stay in touch?
2: Yeah. So all of our, so- our social media on Instagram is at SafehouseATX. And, you know, you, you can find our website through there as well Is safehou.se. And I do booking if you want to get with us to book a show with Safe House, either in Austin. And we, we travel as well as booking at safehou.se and then info at safehou.se. We're, you know, we're an online company, so we're, we're pretty easy to find. So Safe House ATX, youtube.com slash safehouseATX as well. And uh, yeah, Sean and Eric at safehouse, safehou.se. Sean and Eric at safehou.se.
0: <laughs> Eric yeah. at safehou.se and Sean at safehouse or safehou.se. It reads better than it says. It yes. reads a safe house <laughs> with a dot in it, but saying it out loud is really, really hard. But yeah, if you're interested, just message us or email us or whatever. A kind of the mentality we've always taken is just show up and say hi we've gained more support and more interest and created more opportunity for people just because they showed up and said hi. They didn't know what they necessarily wanted or how to help or how to get involved. But just starting the conversation is really where where it matters.
1: Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Eric. This has been great. You guys stay warm out there in Austin and I uh, really enjoyed our conversation.
2: Thank you so much for Thank your you time so today. It was really great catching up. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of In Factor.